Hey, this is Jason DeVore from Authority Zero, and you're listening to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. The Solar Panel Podcast, as always, we appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, joining us today, Mr. Greg Esposito. Ahoy, ahoy. And of course, I could not forget Dave King. Well, you hey, how could you not forget me because you're looking at me on the screen? Well, I, I, technically, I actually have uh, your guys' camera to my left, uh, and I can, so I'm not looking at you. Hey, let me, so let you me do have you. the ability to forget. No, nobody gives a crap at what your setup is, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair. So I want to get a couple of items out of the way. And that is if you are listening on the podcast right now and you want to get your voice on the intro, it is so easy to do. Uh, Just open up the show notes and there is a leave a voicemail button. Uh, Go ahead and leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the next show. If you're watching on YouTube right now and you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and search for the Sun Solar Panel podcast anywhere that you do listen to podcasts. And of course, I want to take a moment to thank a supporter of the show uh, who has done on the uh, uh, support the show uh, feature that we have for both the podcast as well as for the YouTube. And this week, I want to shout out David McDevitt. Uh, there is a one, a $5 and a $10 option. If you do the $10 option, I'll personally send you some sun swag. Either way, we really appreciate it. And thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you, David. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you for also making Tim have to put in some work and go to the post office. I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> That we make it a little bit more difficult on Tim uh, every every time somebody donates ten bucks, uh, it, as if it's not hard enough to have to deal with Dave and I every week. So I got to point out, I, I just tweeted out that we're going to go live, and some some fan um, his his response was, "Are you good looking? <laughs> Are you handsome?" Well, and I said, I, uh, um, "LOL, sure, Dan," and he goes. Wow, my daughter's gonna love you then. My whole family's gonna be watching later. <laughs> hey, how's it going, Dan and family? Hello, love you. I hope I'm not disappointing. Dave, Dave I, is Dave is the first one that talked. This is uh, Tim that's talking right now. If you're looking for attractive, just uh, the, oh, the one in the blue nice. room is is Dave. That's the so. switch out. That's uh-huh. the switch out. So here here's the thing. Dave might not be the most attractive gentleman, but he pulls well. He is it the is. James All right, we Jones don't have to go into details. of, uh, of dating, into right? Detail. You think and he's going to have the Tim, worst off-season ever. that I'm not the most attractive gentleman. Look, look you are the James Jones of, of dating. You, th- you think you're going to have the worst off-season ever, and then you see the, the total of what you bring in, what you've acquired, and you go, wow, this guy's pretty good. All right. You can move on. Nah. <laughs> it is it is it is impressive, honestly. Uh, so, but but I digress because nobody watching really cares about this or listening on the podcast. So, uh, the, the they're Suns, all very uncomfortable, right? Now. The Suns came in this last week, uh, dominated the Hawks in the second half, and um, Hawks fans. <laughs> took some exception to some of the comments that Eddie Johnson made on uh, the broadcast. And Eddie Johnson even went on to Twitter and talked uh, uh, back and forth with some of these Hawks fans. And I do want to play a clip of one Hawks fan talking about Eddie Johnson during the broadcast. The Hawks are losing right now. Trey just missed a 30-footer. Listen to what bro saying. Listen. He hit 24 from last year. New record, 24 from 30 feet. Listen to bro. Response. 
You're going to keep letting him pull up from 30 feet and he's tearing the whole league up? His mindset. His mindset is to, is to say, go ahead. How many threes does this man got to make before you realize you can't just say, go ahead? <laughs> That's the dumbest mindset I've ever heard in my life. That's the 40s and the 1970s mindsets. That's not a good basketball mindset. Basketball has evolved. <laughs> People not like Jerry West no more. People pulling up from 30 now. All right, so that was a clip. Eddie Johnson, he responded back and forth. I can read it. Greg can read it. I'm sure he has it pulled up as well. Uh, what What were your guys' thoughts? But listen, uh, Eddie Johnson's reply was, Twitter's version of what LeBron James did last night uh, in that game, that poster dunk. Eddie Johnson obliterated not only the guy that made the made the comments that, that filmed the clip, but then another guy that was in uh, in the thread talking about it. He basically said, uh, you don't know anything. How old are you? The guy goes, I'm 23, dog, with a <laughs> with a son. <laughs> he goes. He goes, if you're saying dog, you obviously, basically you don't know anything. Like, it was <laughs> it was prime Eddie Johnson. It is part of why I, I love the guy. I loved working with him. There is nobody better. And honestly, I don't know very many people that are smarter basketball minds than Eddie Johnson as well. He could be a general manager in this league. He could be a coach in this league if he wanted. And he is one of the best damn broadcasters there are. Uh, in the NBA, the fact that these uh, Hawks fans took uh, took offense to anything that he was saying in, in the clip, you're talking about Trey Young shooting from 30, and you don't need to guard a guy that's shooting from 30 feet, you know, because it's more of a fluke that he's going to connect from there, uh, you know, than than the rule, and that you're better off not guarding him out there, and then and then him talking about Cam Reddish's uh, ejection and and going on uh, a a very to me seemed like a mundane uh, chat about saying hey just get him off the court before he gets fined get him back to the locker room don't make don't make a scene like Hawks fans were just looking for something to get angry at because they got their ass they were angry at that well they were angry at that game there was a lot of calls that even Suns fans were like "Mm?" Like those ejections on the flag, you know, well, the, uh, the offensive fouls that got called flagrant after review and they were just basketball plays, the guys going up against Aaron Baines to, or, or whoever it was to, to try to get a basket. Those were, I just don't understand it. I just don't understand how the refs can make those reviews and, and end up with a couple of different flagrants and a guy being kicked out. Uh, by the end of the two guys being ejected from the game. It's just crazy. I, I, I don't agree with any of that at all. So Suns fans or Suns fans feel uh, all understandably felt a little bit fortunate. Finally, we're on the right side of these calls. Finally, things are going in the Suns directions. The, the Suns are finally the good team. <laughs> yeah, well, the Suns are finally the good team that actually gets these things going for them because they're the good team. They're like the silver spoon, right? All of a sudden. And the Hawks are the ones that, Oh God, another pile on Jesus. You know, every year we're the team. The Suns are the team that hates the refs like this. And, and the refs have been tough on the Suns in some ways this year. Um, but this was finally one of those games where everything seemed to go in the Suns favor. So I can understand why Hawks fans were mad, but B 
be mad at the refs. Don't be mad at Eddie Johnson. Eddie Johnson, Frank, all he was doing basically, and let's admit it, Eddie's a color commentator, right? Which means he's like the dude sitting at the bar with you as he's watching the game on TV with you. He's going to fill in from with some awesome commentary. You may not like it as, as a fan of the other team, but man, Suns fans were laughing their butts off with his commentary. We love that commentary. He's a home team announcer. He's not TNT. He is not national. He's a home team announcer. His job is to entertain Suns fans. His job is not to entertain Hawks fans. So he's did, he did a wonderful job entertaining as they were filling in guys, just, you know, the camera, all the camera is doing is watching guys walk around the court, pissed off, wondering what's going to happen. And then the, then the refs going over into the, you know, trying to get the player to leave the court and trying to get play started again. And he's filling in time. The worst thing you can have on television is dead air. And I get it. I totally get I mean, believe me, if there's any fan base that understands being upset at the refs and getting screwed by by refs, it's this one. We get it here in Phoenix. I just think the anger uh, was was completely misguided, pointing it at Eddie Johnson, who was just, to your point, Dave, doing his job and doing it pretty pretty impressively well. Right. So I, I think the Hawks Eddie has over the last several anything. years. I mean, he's been a color announcer for the sun since 2001, but over the last several years, he has had to become a master at filling bat, filling dead space and filling things where you can't just be talking about the last highlight play that happened. Cause there's only a couple of game sons have lost 60 games a year for the last several years. Eddie knows how to fill time. He, he's gotten really good at it. <laughs> He and uh, oh, why am I blanking on uh, on his, his name? partner, F- former former play by play man, uh, Tom uh, Leander? T- no, Albert, uh, Steve Albert. Uh, oh, he yeah, and Steve, Steve Albert. Albert. He became, and Steve Albert were so good, they were they were <laughs> almost a comedy team during those uh, those it difficult times. There was nothing yeah. better than those two guys, uh, at so, uh, just the timing that they had, and uh, and K Ray and. And Eddie are getting that as well, but yeah, hate on Eddie Johnson um, just makes you look like an idiot. Like that—that's well, that's all frankly, this comes down to. The enemy of an announcer is indifference, anyway. So oh, all this it. does is fuel Eddie, man. Yes. Uh, so love and hate pay the same, and that's exactly. the, that's the honest truth in uh, Ask in Stephen the A. Smith business. Uh, so going on the Hawks Reddit wasn't just that comment that they were a bit upset about. I have the other ones they have here. Yeah, um, go ahead. I'm gonna, Read that one first, though. Uh, they were upset about get off the court, head to the showers, young man. Get him out of here before he gets fined and join your teammate, Bembry. <laughs> Boy, the Suns have really silenced Trey Young tonight. He had 21 and 13. Uh, tonight shows the difference between Monty Williams and Wait, Willie let's Pierce. talk about each one. Tim, let's okay. talk about each one. That uh, the, the Suns have really silenced Trey tonight. He had 21 and 13. I they saw that the on the Reddit, half. too. Right. He had 17 of those points and I believe eight or nine assists at halftime and so in the second half they did silence him uh and that's when eddie johnson said that yep uh let's see uh tonight shows the difference between monty williams and lloyd pierce yeah great talent lloyd pierce is a good coach man he is he is a good coach but he has uh not very much talent kind of like uh the sons coaches of the past but the difference between Monty Williams and Lloyd Pierce is that Monty has a lot more to work with. Well, and second half adjustments. When you look at that, Monty Williams uh, adjusted well in that second half, and they, they oh, blew it yeah. So I, I know I can't find the stat. Too. I can't find the stat fast enough. But uh, the Suns are one of the have the one of the biggest uh, point margins this year. 
in the league. They're like second in the in the Western Conference in margin of victory. And most of that is in the third quarter. Um, and I don't know the exact numbers right now, but most of that margin of victory is built in the third quarter. And that's when the coach makes halftime adjustments. So yep. absolutely, Greg. Uh, his halftime adjustments are really great. Well, what do you guys think about <clears throat> uh, the Suns uh, doubling Trey Young so so often in the first half? Just, like, the, just it- like other teams did that against Devin Booker, man. Trey is great at splitting the double teams. Uh, man, that was so fun to watch. Even as a, as a fan of the other team, it's so fun to watch him splitting the double teams, even, even to the point where he's pushing the ball two dribbles ahead of himself just to get through and then catch up to the ball. He's pushing it to a corner of the court that nobody was in. He's done that against several um, uh, other players, other teams. And that was fun. But um, just like just like what everyone did to uh, uh, Devin Booker the past couple of years, the doubling, there's no other threat on that team. Every other threat is dependent on Trey Young creating for them. Well, especially when they played the Suns between suspension and injury, there there really was. I mean, Alex Len was basically the second threat uh, on the court, and we know that that's oh, not exactly threatening. Can so. I pay a quick little homage to Alex? Uh, yes, you can pour one out for Mr. Len. I'm going to pour out, pour one out. Um, it's Saturday morning, so it's just water, but I'm going to pour one out for Alex Len. Um, man, that guy. So unbelievably, I don't, I didn't understand that Suns fans would boo Alex Len. He went out with such a whimper out of here. Uh, and he left and the Suns kind of, uh, didn't help him with his development. That's for sure. It's not the Suns' fault. He didn't develop because he's not any better in Atlanta. He really isn't. Um, but it, it, Definitely the Suns didn't help him. And um, so it's not really anything to boo about, but the fans were booing almost as loud as they were booing the other night um, whenever they uh, in prior games with other other players and stuff like that. So, man, the Suns were booing loud on on Thursday night. It was crazy. And Alex Len took it personal. He started preening. He started getting physical and getting aggressive. Um, this person I was texting with who had not seen Alex Len before just became a Suns fan the last year. Uh, she was just like, Ooh, he's mean. He's a, he's not nice. I mean, he's, he's, I don't like him. And I'm like, that is not the Alex Len I knew. We watched him every game for five years. The dude's about as passive as a little puppy. Um, but he was pretty aggressive on Thursday. I give him props for that. He had a 21 and 10, I believe, um, really good for him, but yeah, he is dependent on Trey young as well. Look, Alex Len does not deserve booze. I mean, the guy. I, I, some of these guys wind up uh, a victim of uh, of being selected in a place that uh, you know it was a terrible draft, and the only reason that people uh, had any reason to hate him was simply because he was taken fifth overall and didn't live up to what everybody hoped they'd get out of a fifth right. pick. But he never did anything that was uh, was was bad. Never trashed this city he was a hard worker i i genuinely genuinely liked the kid getting to know him he didn't deserve to be booed but this fan base is so amped up about how good this team is right now that everything is is coming out in uh in a a much louder more aggressive more excited fashion whether it's positive negative whatever it is there everybody's excited in that home 
crowd just really is feeding off that. So I think that was is just yeah. part of it that they're just they're looking for anything to to get loud about, and I and I love that. They're really engaged. I've got several friends who've been either watching or attending or both these games and um, going back and forth with them. Fans this year are really engaged. Uh, you can tell they because they're like anticipate anticipatory ooing on a crossover before the shots even being made, you know, taken. Um, uh, they're watching plays develop and they're getting excited as they see the Suns doing positive things. It's, it's really fun to watch the the fans actually react to the games this year because they are engaged. They're not just reacting, um, uh, you know, passively where uh, two seconds after the dunk, then all of a sudden they realize, hey, there was a dunk, woohoo, you know, and the next play has already started. They're anticipating everything as it's happening. So I'm really excited for the how the fans are. Somebody made a comment that they were kind of quiet on Thursday according the way it sounded on television. I don't know how quiet. they... Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't actually quiet. It was a really fun crowd on, on Thursday. It just wasn't as loud as, as it had been in the uh, Positive Suns moments on uh, against the Lakers or um, maybe in a couple of other prior games, but they were definitely engaged that whole time against the Hawks. It was just an easy game. Suns were up and everyone knew the Suns were going to win that game. It was just a matter of by how much and when. Brian, you know what's funny? So the, that, that was the first, and I tweeted this out, but that was the first <clears throat> game this year where I legitimately got bored and turned it off at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And, and that's the point where we're at though, to where the Suns are now blowing out shitty teams and it's boring to watch on tv and so you have better things to do it's a great place to be in well, but it was in, a in weird... your defense tim it was almost midnight by the time you did that yeah it was it was <laughs> it's just it was a weird place to be in after watching this team for the last seven or eight years or whatever and having them be terrible yeah <laughs> you know it's it's, it's a great. pretty nice feeling where you can go I can stop watching this. I know they're going to win. Like uh, right. how, that, uh, yeah. that's pretty impressive that we've swung the pendulum that far <laughs> now. So Did, has that happened once in the last seven seasons? No. <laughs> A few. Uh, okay. The Suns this season have, I think it's the 16 plus point win barrier. Um, they've had three this year in 11 games. They only had three all last season where they won by 16 plus points. Uh, you guys to everything. Some, we have some uh, yeah. some listener comments in the YouTube chat. You guys want to run through them real quick? Sure. All right. Uh, Serene Eclipse said that Alex Lynn did say being in Phoenix stunted his development, which is what sons some what some fans might have taken issue with, despite it probably being true. Yeah, I mean that's fair yeah. that he said that, but yeah, also the second part is very true. The sons had no development. Uh, staff really set up since uh, since even uh, that's not fair. They had development coaches, but I don't think they set up a system and a culture that helped develop guys since uh, since Lance Blanks took over. So no, I don't that's think true. that's that's necessarily uh, inva an invalid comment by Alex Lund. It's not an invalid comment, but if if it was true that it was the Suns and not him that stunted him, he'd be a lot better in Atlanta, and he's well, not. He came into that game averaging six points. A game for a team that desperately needs big men. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not saying, uh, and I'm not sure Alex was saying that that's the only reason. But it certainly is a factor in a lot of these guys not fully developing. And I like that he's enjoying himself in Atlanta. So power to Alex. I'm very happy for you that you're having a good time. 
Uh, Fabio. Um, no, actually, let's do one by uh, Tyler. This is a DeAndre oh, Ayton sorry, question. Fabio. Yeah, Fabio, we'd already talked about uh, Alex Land for a bit. Um, Tyler says, between the NCAA issues and the drug testing issues or issue, uh, should we be concerned about Ayton moving forward? Uh I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna know when he comes yeah. back if if this is actually uh, you know made it clear to him that he's he's gotta uh, he's gotta be more focused that he's gotta come in and you know and Aaron Baines the way he's playing uh, has has hopefully has made it crystal clear to DeAndre Ayton that uh, get your stuff together because you're gonna get pushed here. This is not gonna be. Uh, you're handed something simply because you're athletically gifted, you're going to have to actually become the player that everybody wants you to be. Now, he did have a statistically, historically great first year, but I think that was all on raw talent. Now he has to get in the headspace to do this right, and hopefully the suspension was enough to kickstart that. Yeah, no, I think, um, I definitely think that, that, the Suns will look a little bit different when DeAndre Ayton comes back because he's not that uh, kickback out to a three kind of guy right now. He may be developing that in this 25-game absence. Or what he what would the Suns really need is a new wrinkle in their offense because teams are going to figure out how to defend those threes. And they're going to play for Rubio having those kickout threes. And it's going to be a li- at least a little bit more successful defensively for other teams. And so having having a way to flip that direction of the pass would be very helpful uh, for DeAndre Aiden. Now, um, as far as should we be worried? No, if you were worried, if you were worried about Aiden before that suspension, which a lot of people were, then that is just confirmation bias right there. This suspension is yet another uh, black mark on him. If you were positive about his future, uh, which most people who are positive about Aiden are talking about the future version, uh, the one he's going to grow into, the one he's going to be in the future when the Suns need help in a playoff game, game and they can't get all those open shots, um, DeAndre Ayton's going to be extremely uh, helpful at that point, then you're not worried. You only want to make sure he didn't get worse during the suspension. Could the suspension ruin him mentally? Well, yeah, I guess so. But has it ever done that for a player in the past? Probably not. Um, what ruins players is long-term injuries that they can't get over, uh, uh, you know, head-wise out of their headspace and worrying about their how they play. Um, that's what ruins players is is it not not the the suspension I, isn't going to ruin him? I'd argue you're wrong. Latrell Sprewell was ruined by his suspension, but that was more because he choked. Latrell Latrell <laughs> Sprewell was ruined by that he needed to had kids to feed and he couldn't yeah, yeah. take that big extension offer because he wanted a bigger one and then everything went to hell. This is true. He was ruined yeah. by his own bad karma. All right. So the Suns' upcoming schedule. Dave has this really awesome document uh, that he's put together. So we're going to kind of run through it because. So the Suns coming up, they have the Celtics, the Kings, the Pelicans, the Wolves, the Nuggets, the Wizards, and the Mavericks. Um, seemingly, offhand, this does seem like a lighter schedule, but uh, Dave has put together together the average opponent um, offensive rating and the average opponent defensive rating. Uh, you want to go into it? <laughs> yes, but I got to reopen it now. For some reason, it's still no... Not, oh, here it is. I got it. Yes. Uh, so... <laughs> Sorry, I was lost for a second there. Yeah, I put uh, it the together. The preparation so, on this show is always just so no, no. Amazing. I put some time into this. <laughs> I just had to find it. Give me a break. Um, okay, so yeah, so 
the Suns have had, according to the modeling that is out there, the Suns have had anywhere from the first to the fifth most difficult schedule in the league um, for the first uh, 10, 11 games. Now, I think after the 11th game, it drops a little bit on on what would be considered the most difficult because it was against a Hawk team that is Hawks team isn't very good. But still, the Suns have had a very difficult schedule. That that schedule has been determined based on what what uh, the models thought the Suns opponents were going to be this year versus what not necessarily what the Suns opponents have been until we get a few games of wins and losses under us. Uh, so far, the Suns, I just want to look at this uh, real have uh, played 11 games. They've played six games against teams that are currently over 500 and five games against teams that are currently, as of now, under 500. Um, the under 500 games, the Suns have won handily. Uh, they've won all five against teams that are under five that are still currently after 11 games of their own or 10 games or 12 games of their own still currently under 500. Um, the Suns against the teams that are over 500 are just clearly better teams. That's the Denver Nuggets who are right um, at, before last night's games. OK, before Friday's games, it's as of 1115, the Denver Nuggets were eight and three. The Utah Jazz eight and three, the Miami Heat eight and three, and the Los Angeles Lakers nine and two. That's the Suns' losses this year against some really really good teams, and then they've beaten the bad ones. Um, so, but I wanted to take a look at were these teams actually are these teams actually good this year? The Suns, the teams the Suns have played, are they actually good this year? Now these numbers are skewed by whether the Suns beat them or not, and the Suns have. One of the league's top two or three offenses, they um, they lead the league in assist rate. They lead the league in getting open shots, and uh, they're one of the top teams in three point make. So the Suns have been running over these these opponents. But how do those opponents fare league wide? Well, the Suns have played eleven other teams so far. The average offense of those opponents right now, or as of Friday anyway, um, was nineteenth in the league. And the Suns' defense is 12th in the league. Uh, and then on the other side of it, the average defense that the Suns have played, again, influenced by the Suns having played them, but at a one, as, to, as 10% of the games they've played, um, their average defense they've played against is 14th. And the Suns, as of yesterday, were third in offense. So the 19th on offense and 14th on defense is the average team the Suns have played this first 11 games. That's actually not as good as I expected. What do you guys think? The the current the teams that they've played so far, it, it hasn't been as good as expected. But that always happens at the beginning of the year. You know, you'll hear, oh, this team's got the toughest schedule. And then, uh, case in point, the Phoenix Suns are a, a much better team than people expected, and some teams wind up being much worse, especially early in the season, than, than people expected. So it's not surprising to me that, that the schedule isn't quite as hard as it originally appeared. And I actually think the next stretch is tougher than people uh, originally assumed. You know, you've got you've got the Celtics playing better than, than people thought. Uh, I, and I, I think it's going to be a challenge coming up for this team. But then again, the entire season's going to be because they've proven that they can win, but now can they sustain it? Yeah. So anyway, so the, yes. Yeah, so the first 11 opponents, the Suns have been, have played some 
fairly okay, medium pack, collectively medium pack opponents, and yet they're seven and four. They could be five and six, six and five. Um, so I think that's really good. The Suns are, have shown that they're good. Um, what's interesting is that the script is being flipped a little bit in the next uh, eight games. In the next eight games, um, no, seven games I have through the end of November is what I looked at. The Suns play winning teams in the Celtics, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets for a second time, and currently the Dallas Mavericks. Although I don't think the Mavericks are going to end up with a winning record at the end of the year. Hot take. Um, so, but the current winning records are, uh, th- um, yeah, the the Celtics, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets, and the Mavericks. Of those, and then there's three losing teams the Suns play before the end of November, and that's currently the Kings, who are playing much better lately. Uh, but they're out. Darren Fox. So they're, they're kind of fool's gold on, I don't think the Suns can lose to those guys, um, but they're playing at Sacramento. They're playing um, home against the Pelicans who are scuffling right now. And they're playing home against the wizards who are obviously scuffling this year as well. So the average offense, the Suns are going to be facing in the coming weeks uh, through the end of November is 10th in the league. These teams, if they're anything, they're pretty good on offense. The, they, they're playing two of the best offenses in the league and no offense is worse than 21st right now. So the Suns 14th rank offense, I think as of this morning, it might be up to 12th, but still mid pack, excuse me, four, 14th ranked defense. Um, 12th, 13th, 14th ranked defense. That's what they've been hovering around for the last week. They're playing better offenses than they have played. So their son's defense may go down a little bit. On the other end, though, the teams that are coming in, nobody's very good at offense. Or nobody's good, very good defense. at defense. Why am I getting this backwards? Um, there, nobody's very good at defense that the Suns are playing. The uh, They play one top five defense in the Denver Nuggets, but nobody else is uh, a higher right now than 11th on defense. And the average defense the Suns are going to play against is 19th. So the Suns' offense is going to continue to cruise through the end of November. The Suns have no reason not to be cruising on offense through the end of November. It's the defense that might get a little shaky. So maybe the winning margin won't be as good. Maybe some players, some other teams will get hot on their offense and um, and beat the Suns when the Suns used to be able to win these games. Kind of like when the Lakers got hot, when the Heat got hot, there's not much you can do because the Suns, um, even no matter how many shots they make, if the other team makes more, you're going to lose. So um, Analysis. It, it, yeah, analysis. <laughs> um, so while the Suns were playing bad offenses and good defenses the first six weeks or so, now they're going to be playing pretty good offenses and bad defenses. Well, look, they have to take care of business against the Kings, the Pelicans, the Wizards of the world during this stretch. But then I think you have to beat the Timberwolves and you have to beat the Mavericks because that's the that's the weight class that you're fighting in right now. And if you want to be a legit playoff contender you're going to have to beat those kind of guys because those are the teams you're going to compete to be in that that sixth seventh eighth spot in the west and if you can stack those wins early the better off you're going to be now i you know if they can get a win against a a nuggets team or or a celtics team that's a bonus right because uh those are those are good teams and and i'm all for obviously surprising people but i think you have to take care of business uh, against those bottom feeders and then against the timberwolves uh and the mavericks because those are important games even though it's, it's november if you hope to be a, a playoff contender 
Uh, well, as Fabio on the YouTube chat points out, uh, beating the Celtics would give us all a good reason to beat or to uh, tweet Bill Simmons. <laughs> I'm, I'm not That's a right. Simmons Bill's hater like everybody one else. More one more surprising win. That might be the win that, Bill, that forces Bill Simmons to give the Suns a little bit of credit. Yeah, so the Celtics are number one in offense, actually, this year. Surprising. They lost Kyrie Irving and they got better on offense? You mean Kyrie <laughs> Irving's a head case that hurts people, the teams from the inside rather than... Uh, uh, than not. Yeah. I, I, and <laughs> I, I laughed because I was looking at it the other day and remember how angry people were that, that the Suns didn't trade for Kyrie and didn't trade for, uh, Jimmy Butler. And then you go back and look and Jimmy Butler has been on multiple teams. Kyrie's been on multiple teams since then. It's yeah. like, uh, it just makes me laugh ab- about it. Yeah, it'll be fun watching the Suns play the Celtics on Monday night because the Celtics are kind of like the team that if there's a team that's built to defend the Suns, it might be the Celtics. The Celtics are number one in offense, but 11 in defense. And the Suns are number three in offense and 12 in defense. So it should be a pretty good offensive it's, game, you would think. The the issue I have with uh, the Celtics is the same one that I was worried about with the Heat is just them having bigger, really fast wings. Right. Uh, so they the have Suns. a lot of their defense is exactly Tim. Their defense is centered around their wings playing well. And uh, they don't have any really good bigs defensively. Their best big, I think, right now is Ennis Cantor. Um, yeah. So well, I don't know if Tice is going to play. I think Tice is, uh, is injured right now. He, he's more of a defensive threat, obviously, than a little than an bit. offensive threat. But um, anyway, so if the Suns had DeAndre Ayton, this might be a game where Ayton just dominates down low in getting the ball. Um, but the Suns don't have Ayton. They have a lot of three-point shooters, and the Celtics' defense is really predicated on having wings who can suffocate around the edges. So I really think uh, Monday will be a huge test of the Suns' offensive game plan. I, I have not deep dove on Celtics' uh, offensive stats, so forgive me, but I wonder how much of that number one rating uh, had to do with uh, Gordon Hayward's early start as a uh, fast start as well. And now he's yeah, not I feel there really too, bad so. for Hayward and so, that poor guy. So, yeah. so maybe that's a little bit of a, uh, of a, a deceiving stat uh, with, with Hayward not being part of that mix now as well. So, Oh, they're still nine and one. I mean, well, I'm not saying they're not a bad team without him. I'm just saying offensively, they might not be as much of a juggernaut as it appears statistically because they lost a large portion uh, of their offense in the way Hayward was playing early in the season. Yeah. Uh, also, the Baines revenge game, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Aaron Baines is going to be up for that one, isn't he? And I don't know about re- – oh, yeah, no. He's mad that they traded him because um, he won't really talk about it, but uh, there was a lot of talk third hand uh, last spring that he opted in because Danny Ainge had told him he would – he would stay or be traded to a contender. Um, he opted into his final year of his contract. Well, he was traded to a contender. It did turn out to be that way, didn't oh, it? Yeah. But at first, it wasn't. And oh. it, would, it took Monty Williams and James Jones to get on the phone and talk to Aaron Baines about what he could do here. And then he got excited. And he hasn't been disappointed on being with the Suns, obviously. Aaron Baines is the heart and soul pretty Dude, much he, of this Aaron team Baines right. is making some money right now is what he's doing. Oh, oh, he's yeah, setting himself up for a big payday. Yeah, we'll Sham. talk about that. We'll we'll talk about that later in the show. But uh, definitely Aaron Baines might want to show up the Celtics because Danny Ainge thought so little of him that he ended up trading him to one of the worst teams in the conference at the time, in the Western Conference at the time, uh, after 
giving him the impression he'd either stay with the Celtics or go to a playoff team. Oh, if Ainge's in the building, I hope Baines takes a charge, gets a towel, and Robert Ory's Danny Ainge with it. How great would that be? Just throw it in or his Or just face, takes a yeah. charge and throws himself into Ainge's seat. <laughs> <laughs> Give it... I, I'm I'm always for a good uh, petty revenge uh, move. So I feel like Baines is gonna uh, have a good game. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, stat of the week. This one comes from Michael Gallinger. Want to give him credit. Uh, right now, the Suns are top five in three-point catch and shoot attempts per game. So they're actually number one. The Suns at catch and shoot three-point attempts per game, 29.1. The Bucks coming in second at 29. Pelicans, 28.7. Wolves, 26.9. And Mavs, 26.6. This is the part that I happen to be, uh, I'm still surprised that the Suns are, are doing this. There was a really good video uh, put out by a guy who works for The Ringer, uh, and I posted it on Brightside on Saturday morning, shared it on Brightside on Saturday morning, but I found it uh, being shared around social media earlier in the week. He put six minutes together of how Ricky Rubio has transformed the Suns into a fun team, and that's because Rubio forces, even though Rubio's not an outside shooting threat, he forces defenses to commit as he drives in, and then he kicks behind him Self for an open three for the big man who set the pick up for him. It's really beautiful the way the Suns are playing. And then uh, he's also shown how the Suns have have added some wrinkles to their offense. And when the when the defenses do um, stop the first option, there's two and three and four and five other options out there on every play. It's really fun. But I am I am still surprised that the Suns are getting league leading number of catch and shoot threes and almost all of those are wide open because they also lead the league in wide open threes taken a game and wide open being six plus feet where uh to the closest defender and you watch it you see it you see like how is aaron baines frank kaminsky cam to all these guys so open it's just the offense there they just set a pick three seconds before and they rolled themselves out to the three-point line because the pick they're not setting picks in the past the uh, Channing Fry's famous pick and pop with Goran Dragic. They led the league in points per uh, points per possession on a pick and pop play that year in 2013-14. Channing Fry was setting picks out at the three-point line and then just rolling sideways, staying on the three-point line as Goran was driving in and forcing the big to follow him and then kicking back out to Channing. It was a great, great play. What the Suns are doing is they're setting the picks at the high post, at the at the at the angles, at the elbows, whatever whichever term you're going to use, um, and then the guy is rolling the big after setting the pick, and Ricky's driving by, past him or Devin's driving past him. The big is rolling out to the three or four steps out to the three point line as the defenders are figuring out what they're going to do. Um, so it's a different placement on these picks, and they're setting two and three picks as well until one of them works. It's really, really fun to watch. Um, so, well, how does yeah. that change when when Aiton comes back? Because well, that's Aiton, the question, right? Right, 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 right. So you'd have to have different wrinkles. So uh, we're going to have to see. Now the Suns did win by twenty nine in the one game that Aiton played this year, um, and they took a ton of threes and they made them. So Aiton's not going to hurt the offense. He's one of the most efficient offensive players out there, but they will look different. I don't see Aiton doing the drift 
back to the three-point line. I just, unless he's totally changed and picked that up as a wrinkle in his own offense, which he might have, because you just have to be a threat. And if you can make 30 plus percent of them, you're going to be good. Frank Kaminsky was still effective taking those threes or being open for those threes, even when he was shooting 20 percent on threes a couple of weeks ago or even just a week ago he was. Um, so it is interesting. I wonder if they will have Aiden do that fade out to the three after setting the pick or if they'll have totally different offensive actions. I, I think they're going to have to have that be a wrinkle in his game. And it's not like he's incapable of it. He showed that he could do it in college, and yes, I understand the college three-point line is different than the NBA, but he does have that kind of range, and it's not that he has to do it every time. I think that what will make it interesting is if he can do it enough to keep defenses honest, then it makes him rolling towards the basket as well uh, a, a pick-your-poison situation for the defense. They're not going to quite know what to expect from DeAndre Ayton, which opens up a world of possibilities for this offense beyond where they were. Uh, I think the biggest problem would be if he if he becomes one-dimensional and that he doesn't have that, that shot necessarily, then it changes the dynamics a lot of this offense uh, when he's out on the court. And then you wonder, okay, how much does that impact the flow with these guys? How much does it change the mindset? with these guys and, and change what Ricky's become comfortable with. But one thing you haven't seen is those lobs. Like, Baines isn't a guy right. that, that's going to go up and athletically overpower a guy. You haven't seen those lobs. That's something that'll come back in. Yeah, there hasn't been, saw. exactly. There hasn't been any actual pick and rolls lately because yeah. they've been doing the pick and pop so easily. That first game where Aiden did play, there were there were a lot more rolls in their offense than there is now. Because um, even they were still having Baines do the pick and rolls for a couple of games after um, after that opening game once once Aiton was out. So I think they'll just adjust. The offense will look a little bit different. It might be even more effective, might be just as effective. But, I mean, Baines is taking four, th- taking four threes a game. You're still going to have Baines out there different times. Um, they're going to, you know, he's still going to get his minutes. And sometimes you will see Aiton and Baines in the same lineup simply because they're both good players. But it won't be a primary option. You're still going to see Frank out there. You're still going to see Dario out there as the second mm-hmm. big. Maybe the picks are, you know, the pick and pops are going to be set by those guys instead um, more often uh, than they are now. And, and we just don't know, but it's not going to be a bad thing when Aiton gets back. Look, it, they'll just be a much more diverse offense when Aiton gets back. I agree. And I'm not saying I want to see Aiton shooting you know, a large amount of threes a game. I'm just saying if he does it every once in a while, it, it leaves that doubt in a defense's mind that wait, this guy can do that, and he has done that, which makes that even that roll to the basket even more effective than we've seen it. And we know he's an athletic freak, and that's what we want him to do with Ricky Rubio is get that get that rhythm where it's roll to the basket, lob it, and now now not only do you have that you know, that Goran Channing Fry style pick and pop, but you get that Nash Amari style uh, you know athletic uh, alley-oop moves going on with this offense too. I don't I don't think there's a, a necessarily anything negative. I just think early on when he comes back, there may be an adjustment period depending on how they decide to use him and what they've been uh, what they've been doing in the first 25 games of the season while he was out. Uh Rick Johnson uh making a great point. <clears throat> 
really uh, what he's talking about is the fact that both the Suns' power forwards are, and really depending on who they play, all their power forwards are, are, are stretch forwards, right? So they can run a lot of horn sets with Aiton, Sharich, or whoever that uh, the uh, uh, stretch four is, mm-hmm. um, and then have you know obviously the stretch four pop out to the line and Aiton roll to the rim, and they do have some options there. Yep, absolutely, because uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff they run actually this year starts with horns, um, and for people who don't get what that means, that's basically both bigs <clears throat> being out on each on each corner. So other people call it an A set uh, A set because the point guard's in the middle at the top of the key. Two bigs are ready to set screens uh, in between the three point line and the free throw line on corners, and then there's a there's um, Kelly Oubre or whoever on the wings are in the in the corners waiting for threes so or waiting to do their cuts because the Suns also have a great uh, one of the best cutting offenses as well in the NBA this year uh, with wings cutting through the lane. So, um, yeah, most everything that starts out Suns start out with his horns. And if Aiton's not going to be a, a, a pick and fade, basically, he can just be a pick and roll while the other guys the pick and fade. And then the Suns are, are super multidimensional. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I totally agree with with Rick's assessment on the horns. And he threw in after if uh, Aiton even shoots just one or two a game, he hits a few. It'll make the defensive play step further from the key, opening up the back door. So that this offense just starts to get even more dynamic uh, potentially mm-hmm. with uh, with Aiton and and if he can it can do both things. So I mean, seriously, just just imagine if you were trying to enhance your current team. If your team is full of um, Guys like Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, and Dario Saric, who are a little bit under-athletic, don't really have the uh, the vertical hops to catch lobs and and do physical things, and and they aren't getting a ton of rebounds. Like the Suns are mid-packed barely on rebounds this year, and that's because guys like Ricky Rubio are averaging almost seven a game. Um, they they don't have a really good vacuum rebounder in the. So if you were looking to enhance the team. I think you would say, God, wouldn't it be great if we had this super athletic 7'1", 250-pound guy who could roll to the rim and just and, and grab all the rebounds and, and be athletic on that front line? That, that doesn't get popped for a, a P-test for the rest of the year? Yeah, well, that'd, that'd all it, be maybe. great. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you happen to know, Dave, where they are on offensive rebounds versus defensive rebounds? I have the total number in front of me, which is yeah. 81 on the year for offensive and 383 for defensive. Um, but where they rank on the offensive? Uh, yeah, according to basketball reference, which is my go-to, the Suns' offensive rebound rate is last in the league. Yeah, so that part of that might be schematic, which was the reason why I was asking. Is, oh, sure, because if they're on the three-point line. <laughs> well, that that and getting back on defense, right? Do you do you want to mm-hmm. grab the offensive rebound or do you want to get back on defense? So it, Monty part said of that specifically could be the all the way through the preseason that the Suns are going to be a team with good transition defense. That was his very first thing: is transition defense, and the Suns are one of the top ten. Play teams in the league in allowing fast break points. So they they allow they're among the ten best at allowing the fewest fast break points. So you, to your your point is very valid, Tim. For one, they're standing out further from the basket than a normal team would be because their their bigs are on the three point line waiting for a three. And for two, they're running back on transition defense. Right. Hey, by the uh, way, thank you to Rip ninety three Ford. Uh, he just donated five bucks in the. YouTube chat asking us to Yay. figure out human uh, human uh, 
gene splicing because he wants to know can we combine Aiton and Baines into uh, one super center? So uh, Aiden we Baines. will we will take that five bucks and try to figure out this scientific question for you. Uh, so we have a new segment. Actually, it's not new. New. Uh, we did introduce it uh, a while ago, but we've now come up with a name. Uh, this is Espo's segment. So Espo, oh. take it away. We used to have the hater, hater, hater of the week, and we gave it the inaugural one to one Mr. Nate Duncan, and then he decided that he was going to block everybody that ever had <laughs> uttered the word sons ever on Twitter. So we are now going to call this our Donkey Award, right? You can, uh, you the can get donkey. a donkey. The donkey. You can get a donkey sound or whatever, uh, implying Aww. jackass, but also in, uh, uh, giving a nod to Nate Duncan. And this week's Donkey Award, or the donkey, goes to Ben. I'm, I'm going to read this off. I want to get this correct. Ben Lander on Twitter. He is a writer for the uh, BastardizedSI.com. He covers the Hawks for them now in their hunt for page views. And he tweeted out, takeaways from a strange game in Phoenix, including the play of Atlanta centers, DeAndre Hunter's activity, and the unsightly charge baiting. Okay. Charge baiting. Charge Dude, baiting. I read that and I'm like, I have never heard the term charge baiting in my entire life. What the? There's a reason baiting? you have not heard of charge baiting because there's either a charge or a, 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 a you're either taking a charge or you're committing a foul. There is no such thing as charge baiting. This is this is ridiculous, and the fact that somebody else has decided to hop on the Nate Duncan choo-choo train so they can get paid views and try to make money is, is pretty damn ridiculous. Aaron Baines is playing within the rules. He's taking charges. This is not charge baiting, all right? There is no such thing. And, and Ben, uh, enjoy your donkey because I hope to never, ever... Read another one of your ridiculous tweets. This is this is basketball, and you know what? Basketball was not built about it when the when the guard or whatever the wing is who's out near the three point line gets the ball, and they see an open lane to the rim. Basketball is not about well, if you saw it, then we can't possibly block that lane, so it's yours. Go ahead and take it and score. No, that's not basketball. What basketball is is if you see a guy driving to the hoop, maybe you should get in his way. And the great thing about a charge versus a block is that a charge, taking an offensive charge, is when you got there, not only did you get there and get in the player's way, but you've been there for at least a full stop, a full second. You're set. Well, the player can get around you. These players are built to be athletic, to be able to get around a dude who comes in and stands in a spot. And outside the paint, too, outside that restricted area, I mean, not outside the paint, but outside the restricted area, you have to have both feet, you have to be set, and the offensive player has to barrel into you. You know what? If they're out of, if they're out of control and they can't get around a stationary dude on their way to the basket, they, you don't deserve to score. That's what a charge is. That's an offensive charge. If, if you got to your spot before the defender did or if the defender is still on the move trying to block you, that's a block. And you know what? You get free throws for that. That's the way basketball plays. And has forever. Brian in the chat goes, Rex Chapman is offended. That's right. Rex Chapman doesn't play the block, charge, or charge baiting game on, on Twitter because there's no charge baiting is when my phone has that little red battery and it's flashing in the quarter and it's telling me to charge it. There's no such thing as charge baiting in basketball. So you, you really, get, uh, he, re he really foistered that charge baiting term. 
You did. Uh, w- welcome, uh, Foyster. Yeah, I'm, you're trying. You're Tim. trying. You I keep did, trying, uh, Tim. I'm not. I'm not bringing up uh, what what that is. So so Ben Lan- Ladner, enjoy your Lander donkey award. Lad- Ladner. Is it Lander or Ladner? Ladner. Right. Ben Ladner. L A D. Any Do you have a friend named Wallace? Wallace and Ladner. Oh God! Now we're making really bad uh, dumb jokes uh, that are only only old people specific. will get it. I don't. I don't care what you guys say. My my Foyster joke was hilarious, I'm, I'm and just, it might have fallen flat on Twitter, but it was funny. Enjoy. I've got a friend who um who who made a comment that um, I'm the valence electron of our our department, and nobody got it. God, this is devolving into science jokes. Can we please? Exactly. Dear yes, Lord. She's very Let's, disappointed that nobody got it. Dear Lord, this is like a, becoming the worst written episode of the Big Bang Theory ever. Can we can we move on to something else here? Uh, do we... Yes. Uh, how about what is at the top of Big Bang the Theory? Video. That's how the episode started. The, oh, wait, the, never the top <laughs> of the video here on YouTube, good. and that is Devin Booker being part of the 50-40-90 club, shooting 53.5% from the field overall, 50% from three, 90.3% from the free throw, free throw line with a true shooting percentage of 65%. If he is able to keep this up and be a part of the 50-40-90 club, I'll be damned if he is not an all-star this season. I, he I tell should you be what, an MVP candidate. Yeah, Most he is an MVP. Player. Well, on the NBA.com does an MVP tracker. It doesn't mean anything, but they do it. Um, he is in the top 10 last two weeks of MVP candidates because of him being the lead guy on one of the on the most surprising team in the league and one of the best teams in the West. So absolutely. I think Devin Booker is a starter already. I mean, this how good he's been. He's that first year that Damian Lillard made the all star game. Um, it's it's like it's like one of those gonna happens unless he falls off the face of the earth. But there's no way Devin Booker is because we've seen it for years. And the only difference between this year's Devin Booker and last year's Devin Booker is that he's got open shots. That's a huge difference. So I see definitely he'll be in. I really, really, really think he's in the 50, 40, 90 club this year. He always has made he's gone weeks without missing free throws. He has so such a smooth shot. Um, I think there's no way. I think there's probably a 90 percent chance he's in the 50, 40, 90 club. Definitely. Um, at the end of the year, and there's about a 95% chance he's still there by the time they pick the um, all-star teams. I, you know what? A 50-40-90 club is appropriate because there's a torch passing right now. I, Steve Nash is handing the torch to Devin Booker because this is the first true uh, league-wide star this Suns roster has had since Nash, and Nash should be known for being part of that 50-40-90 club. So it's only appropriate that that Devin Booker is doing that this season where, when the league actually is taking notice of how skilled he is. If he isn't an all-star, and he should have been in previous years, it's a complete and utter travesty, uh, especially if he keeps this 50-40-90 uh, this up. But even if he doesn't, he should be... Uh, should be an all-star this year and definitely should be in the MVP discussion if the Suns team is above 500 by the end of the year. I don't care if they don't make the playoffs. Even if they finish above 500 and he plays this well, he should be in the MVP discussion. That's how great he's been. So I, I have a question, uh, and I want to get your guys' take on this. That's usually uh, how this, questions work, yes. The... <laughs> <laughs> fucking hate you guys. The, the Suns uh, offensive rating with Devin Booker on the court, 117.1 without Devin Booker 
on the court, 95.6 for a whopping differential of 21 and a half. Uh, what can the Suns do here? Is, is this indicative of they have to make some sort of move through the season? Uh, I think they have already a little, you know, as far as if you meant trades, I don't know about that, but I think they already have made a few adjustments. Um, Monty has have, Monty first. Has. Monty has. They've, they, they've uh, spent the first couple of weeks of the season not doing what he said he wanted to eventually get to. They spent the first couple of weeks of the season uh, just playing the starters mostly together and then having full bench units for a few minutes at a time. And that was really ineffective. Um, so what they're doing now is they're staggering Booker and Rubio, where there's only about two or three minutes tops in an entire 48-minute game where neither of those players are on the floor. Um, and now the backup point guard is Tyler Johnson. Um, soon I hope it will be a few minutes of Ty Jerome as well. And then of course, Javon Carter will just be a bulldog at some point and do pretty well too, um, with another playmaker next to him. But, um, what I guess what I'm saying is Monty's already made some adjustments to where there won't be that much of a discrepancy as time goes by between the starters and the backups, Devin Booker on or off because, um, the backups won't be so as bad. You said that 95 rating that's bad that's really bad yeah um so i think that's going to level off but the the truth is tim is that devin booker is a huge difference maker in any lineup because the defense can't stop looking at him and that opens up everyone else on the floor when he's on that on Look, the on the court deandre ayton's going to impact that as well i mean there's a if you stagger yeah. stagger some of those minutes that he's on the court uh, as well uh, that that will help the offense he's just that good uh offensively around the rim so that that should help as well and eventually maybe you do consider uh, a trade if you are legitimately in the playoff picture and you think that this is uh, uh your window has started sooner rather than later maybe you look at options uh and i guess power forward is the spot but i i don't know because they frank kaminsky Dario Saric have both uh, have picked up their pace as well lately. I, I don't know. I At this point, I probably ride the hot hand until all of a sudden it doesn't feel like uh, these guys are performing at that level and then assess have we made it far enough into this year where we're, where we're a contender, but we need some kind of injection in something. I got to give it, I got to give a quick shout out to Frank, Frank Kaminsky. I've been, um, you know, Frank during games when he, when he's been afraid the last couple of weeks to shoot. And, um, he's been Frank the clank for a while, man. The guy went two weeks without making a shot. He went two weeks without making any shots. And then against the Lakers, he makes his first three on his very first three. The dude backpedals down the court, waving hand, waving himself down with his three fingers going, oh, I'm hot. That was so freaking awesome. That guy has such confidence. Is a really good guy, really means well, and he plays with such confidence. He never stopped playing hard, even when he wasn't making his shots the last two weeks. Hold, and then they start dropping. Hold on. You referred to him as... Basically, Dragon Bender in, in a previous episode, because he which is not so, a guy that's confident. So timid. You you need no, to you right, need to backtrack that and apologize to Mr. Frank Kaminsky and everybody that owns property Frank. in Kaminsky Cove right now. No, he was definitely in his own head for a couple of weeks, man. He was running himself off the three point line. He was missing free but throws. Defensively, he was missing free throws, but defensively, he was always putting out maximum effort, setting picks, rolling, ro- rotating, all that stuff. He was still doing. He just got really timid on making shots. And yes, I 
was calling him Dragon Bender. Maybe a little bit of hyperbole there, um, but definitely I owe Frank an apology. Um, but I am so, I was so happy. I thought it was just so awesome that his very first three in in about ten years, and he's waving himself down as if he's hot as hell. I thought that was so great, and he was excellent against the Lakers and excellent against the Hawks. And Dario Saric had a great game against the Hawks. So to support your 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 comment there, Greg. Right now, um, you couldn't get much better from any of the other stretch fours out there. It's just the consistency factor, and that's the question is the Suns may want to up their star factor or their consistency factor of power forward, but um, they definitely have guys there who are performing very well this year if they don't make any trades. Okay. Uh, Kaminsky so- Cove is a long-term investment. Just remember that. Uh, Frank, Frank Kaminsky, <sighs> I'll do I do want to point share. out. Frank Kaminsky, uh, actually, uh, apart from DeAndre Ayton, um, who's, you know, really hasn't played at all this season, he actually leads the team in the best defensive rating. Um, the Phoenix Suns are uh, 9.4 points better uh, defensively or allow fewer uh, points offensively when Frank Kaminsky is on the court. Javon Carter coming in second at 8.5 and Tyler Johnson at 5.2. Yeah. So now de- definitely Frank has been a difference maker by being a smart team player. He's not fast, not quick. He doesn't jump through the roof, but man, that guy knows how to play. And we're, the Suns, it's just everything James Jones touched this offseason has turned to gold because he picked up guys who know how to play basketball. And when you put a bunch of guys together who know how to play basketball, guess what? They play basketball pretty well. Um, so it, it's been a sight to see that Suns fans are not used to. But also, it's not just the fact that we're not used to seeing good basketball. This really is good basketball that the Suns are playing. They're 7-4 and four against a tough early schedule. And they have, they're showing every sign of sustainability. So it's really good to see. Uh, so we're coming up in an hour. You guys want to go through some rapid fire of our last three topics? Yes. Sure. Better One of those better be the Baines topic. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Charge bait you. You know, at, at this point, why don't we just end the show early? What do you guys think? Oh, get, Tim, knock it <laughs> off and get to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first one. Roster exception. Why haven't the Suns used it? Why do they need to? What are they going to do? You're not going to get a guy that's actually going to crack this rotation uh, that's sitting at home doing nothing. So at this point, don't ma- don't mess with the mix. Just keep rolling with what you got. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I I think it would have been fun to see Alan Williams cheering on the bench as their as their fifteenth man, um, for example. But they're not. He's not going to get playing time. Check the is not getting playing time. Uh, the way this offense is running and the way the defensive rotations are set, you need. Um, it's really been built for guys like Sharich and and Baines and and Kaminsky, and so uh, those guys are going to continue to get the minutes. And that's the only. That's the only kind of position that you would fill that roster exception for is a big man and i love i love big sauce but i wouldn't ask him to come back from from russia for three weeks to to then have him be a man without a country or without a that, that was a weird way to without say a, a contract man, a man without a contract not a country <laughs> right because there's no way the Suns would want to give up a fully guaranteed contract for this roster exception because a the exception goes away in a few weeks, so you can't. Uh, and yeah, B, that then so that's just giving money to somebody for to that you'll have to cut in a couple of weeks. And B, um, uh, it's just not a, a position that would continue to get playing time anyway. So why would Allen come back? He should just stay in Russia. Uh, okay, next one. Baines getting himself into a big old payday. 
Yeah, Shams, our, our buddy over at the Athletic. I, I'm just gonna call him our buddy. I, I don't know Shams. I was gonna but, say I've never yeah, met. I've, I've never, I've never I have met Wode, but I've never <laughs> met Shams. So uh, a friend of the show, Sham Sharania, says uh, that Baines is up for uh, upwards above ten million dollars a year, and that the Lakers are interested. Uh, this is this is very interesting to me because I think you could fall. This is this reminds me a lot of. Channing Fry with that uh, that team that won 48 games, right? And then you let him walk away because, well, it's a little too pricey for us. Aaron Baines is a big reason this culture is turned around. It's a big reason that this team is seven and four. Uh, he is a, a huge locker room influence as well as on the court. So I look at it and I worry. If you let him go because it becomes a little too rich for your blood, does it completely change the dynamic? And it also makes me wonder if this isn't fool's gold. If Aaron Baines is this guy, does it eventually make DeAndre Ayton expendable to find that star piece at power forward? A lot of interesting questions come out of this for me. Yeah, you know, we'll obviously have to talk about the Suns offseason um, as time goes by because they do have Frank for another year at what's turning out to be a very reasonable number at a team option of $5 million. Um, They've got Dario, who's going to be a restricted free agent, and we've seen um, in years past that restricted free agents don't get big offers. So I think the Suns will be able to keep him on a reasonable number if they want to, if they haven't made any trades. Um, and then DeAndre Ayton is on his rookie deal, and that'll continue to be reasonable as well. So if you want to keep Baines and you and you preemptively get in there and you treat him with respect, like this team is starting to show people, maybe you do just go ahead and give him the give him the ten million a year for a couple of years. I mean, he's not going to get a four year contract. Well, he will probably get a four year contract offer from somebody, but the teams with cap space are going to be teams that uh, won't give him potentially as good as fun of a role as the Suns do. So I, I, I think you can run this back another year. I really do this whole team. Um, but, and that's the way they set up their contracts to be able to do that. But they've also set up their contracts to be able to move on if they need to as well. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But if he's worth 10 million a year, I think the Suns should pay him. If somebody wants to give him 15 a year, um, then he should go have fun with somebody else. Okay. Simple, quick thought experiment. Just, is this is this roster better? Which roster is better? Rubio, Booker, Ubre, Aaron, Gordon, and and Baines, or oh, dude. Oh. <laughs> dude, you got to get off this Aaron Gordon thing. Or or, or Blake Griffin. Plug <laughs> in, plug like any of these years. Plug any of these bigger names, or or Booker, Rubio, uh, Ubre, Sarich, and and Aiton. Which which one's better in your longer term chase for a championship? And you can insert any of the bigger name power forwards. I'm just simply saying, which ones, which which lineups better for your your long term chase? Look, long-term? man, you What's can't long-term? build. You can't. I'm so tired of building this year's team for a potential four years later championship. The NBA turns over rosters at a 40 percent clip every summer. 40 percent of rosters are different the next year than they were the year before. Everybody changes. And so, no, I don't want to make a, a, a lose, uh, lose more now or, or make yourself inflexible now move uh, because maybe three years later that could gel possibly. Well, three years from now, the team will be different no matter what they do. So I know I'm just going to enjoy what the Suns have right now, and I'm not going to mortgage the future. Now, if you're talking about getting somebody for free 
who happens to be a little bit better of a power forward option, great. But I'm not yes, going to spend $25, yes, saying, $30 million yeah, a year. Please, I, somebody, the basketball gods, please hand me somebody that's better at power forward giving up nothing. That's what I'm asking for. The the We've actually had a couple. <laughs> we'll end this on this. I, I don't know anything about it. I haven't heard it before, but there has been a couple of people in the YouTube chat that have asked about uh, – uh, the validity of the Blake Griffin to the Suns trade rumors. I haven't heard it before. There now, isn't but. any. There's there's Suns fans saying who would look better, who would look good if if another team uh, falters. And Detroit is definitely faltering right now. But there aren't any rumors. There's no actual rumors of Blake being traded. What? Was Bauer Bauer was gone by the time that uh, they made that trade in Detroit? Jeff Correct. Bauer. Jeff, yeah. Jeff Bauer. Okay. And yeah, there's yeah, no he doesn't connection. have any doesn't have any connection like he did to Cam Johnson. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. It's funny. And um, yeah. shout out to Cam Johnson actually hitting a uh, shot. He's what the the third Suns rookie in history, I think, to hit uh, three threes in three consecutive games. Uh, I think I Mikael Bridges being the other one, and then like there was somebody that, else. Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, a dude who never amounted to anything. I can't remember. Is it Trevor yeah. Ruffin? Maybe something like that. He he's got he's got that bring it full circle. He's got that Eddie Johnson mentality, right? This guy does not. He is going to shoot, and he thinks he's going to make everything. So, uh, and it looks like he's going to make everything. Yeah, he makes forty forty plus percent of his threes, and it looks like ninety percent of them should have gone in. Yeah, beautiful. This is this is fun. That's that's what this comes down to. It's fun to be a Suns fan. How about that? You know how much everybody deserves it. Like, and I mean everybody yeah (laughs) yes we deserve this (laughs) i like i'm I'm just i'm so happy for suns fans for it and not the bandwagon ones that i've like seen on suns reddit come along this year but everybody that has just been sitting through these uh starting lineups of alfred payton and troy daniels and dragon bender and michael beasley and louise scola and the morris brothers and uh, uh, that has been through that, uh, the, the commentators uh, that have sat through it, the reporters that have been covering this team. It's just yeah. we all deserve this so much. And, uh, yeah, I, I just look around the room at the uh, media room. There's still a lot of guys who have been there for several years. Um, I watch the, the Suns employees who have been suffering that have been there for many years. And I'm just really happy for everybody that they get to watch a winning team again. Yep, we're Very happy. Cool. We're Andy Dufresne coming out that uh, sewer pipe. We've got that rain now, baby. Thank you. Thank you. We've made it. That was a terrible reference. Uh, you know, and maybe this is recency bias, but I'm now that I know what we have, I'm not quite as high on Ryan McDonough as I used to be. <laughs> yeah, none of us are. To be fair, I, though, every- Everything he touched that first summer went gold as well, and then he tarnished it. We we can only hope that James Jones has more staying power for sure. But uh, he definitely James Jones has turned out to be so far a much much better front office option. I, that's that's a great point, Dave. We were all calling uh, him McMiracle this time, his first yep. season as McStunna. well. So, so let's yep. uh, maybe maybe we should pull back. It's it, it's okay to be a Suns fan right now. Let's not say great. Maybe it could well, let's change. Talk about, Dave's let's got talk me about all nervous now. Though. You know what? Now that I know, I know. Uh, now that I brought that up and made everybody nervous, let's talk about the difference. Ryan McDonough, the year everything was go- went gold that first summer, 2013, he was trying to build a loser. 
he was trying to build a team that would lose 60 games. He certainly was. He tried to build a bad roster from day one, and then he tried to make it a good roster, and that's when he failed, when he tried to keep an okay roster and keep it good for subsequent years. James Jones went in there. He said right away, we're going to have a winning roster with winning players, with playoff experience, with championship experience, and we're going to bring all the entire roster is going to be like that. And he did what he said he was going to do, and he did it with the eye toward winning, and that's what the Suns are doing. So the big difference that while I already said that everything went gold for Ryan McDonough his first summer too, he got lucky because he was trying to build a bad roster, and it just happened to win. And then he had no idea how to sustain it. Yep. So uh, chin up, Suns fans. James Jones is not Ryan McDonough. Tim, on that, although uh, Robert Sarver no. is still Robert Sarver, but we'll talk about that another. Hey, day. he he has a triangle of communication now uh, that oh, he God. talked. About. Uh, that that <laughs> that did trigger my PTSD uh, as yep. did your uh, yep. first season comment. They still, I, I've said it and I've said it before. They still have not been punched in the mouth, and that's the first time that Robert Sarver, when they have a five-game losing streak, could revert to being the same guy we've always seen. So. Yeah, let's uh, Dave has triggered uh, everything inside me that worries about <laughs> Sorry, this team. Yeah. So let's end this episode before I feel bad about being a Suns fan again. Yes. And if you've been watching this whole time on YouTube, do us a favor. Hit that thumbs up button. It really, really does help with the YouTube algorithms. There's a reason why we ask for it. So please hit the button. Thank you so much. We will be back again this coming Wednesday at uh, 7 o'clock Arizona time if you want to join us live. Otherwise, you can always subscribe to the podcast version anywhere that you download your podcasts.